0: It's great to see you today. My name's Ben. I'm one of the elders here at the church. Uh, it's great to see you all. If I haven't met you yet, I formally apologize and please come and say hello to me at the end. I love meeting new people. So if we haven't met, if we haven't had at least a five minute conversation, then come and bombard me at the end. I'd, I'd love to meet you. Um, As Andy mentioned last week, we started a new teaching series, or it was kind of like a segue, is that how you say it? A segue into uh, uh, like part two of Ephesians, looking at the armor of God from Ephesians chapter six. And if you don't know the Bible well, don't worry, you are very welcome. Ephesians is a letter written by a Christian leader In the first century called Paul and at that time that he was writing uh, he was guarded by possibly chained to uh, a Roman prisoner because uh, sorry not a Roman prisoner a Roman soldier because he was in prison Uh, and as he writes he's reflecting on what Christ has done and how believers should live Uh, he writes at the beginning of Ephesians chapter 4 as a prisoner for the Lord he 's an actual prisoner it 's not just a figure of speech like oh as a prisoner in a you know on the church rotor i 'm in prison can 't get out of it um, no, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you 've received i don 't know about you i don 't always live up to the to the calling i 've received. I confess i You know, even as an elder of the church, I'm not always like a a 9 or a 10 out of 10 Christian. Sometimes I have, you know, 4 out of 10 days. You're all looking at me like you can't relate. You're all obviously much holier than I am. Well, I'm going to read to you from the Bible just so that we can all calibrate. So Romans 3 tells us we've all fallen short of God's perfect standard. And in verse 10 of Romans 3, which is another letter written by Paul, he quotes from Psalms 14 and 53, and it's bad news, I'm afraid. He says, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. You're glad you came this morning, aren't you? I'm starting with the good news, you know, it's just these, we, we like to go for these feel good, upbeat messages. It doesn't sound very good, does it? But before you all get too downhearted, it's not a hopeless situation. Andy helped us last week and told us that we are in a battle, a battle for our souls and our lives, but we're not fighting a losing battle Although sometimes we can feel that way, we've actually been given the tools to be able to fight and win. And the outcome matters for you and I, it matters for the sake of the gospel, and it matters for the people around us. Last week, Andy looked at the heavyweight belt of truth. Did you, you didn't have a, like a prop, did you, last week? Of, you know, like, um, Who's just got the, f- the three belts? What's his name? Anthony Joshua uh, waiting for the fourth to, to unify all the, all the boxing. Well, today, we're looking at the second part of the armor, the breastplate of righteousness. And I believe that the, pri- the dynamite kids and the teenagers are looking at the same uh, things in sequence. And so uh, if you're a parent... This is an incentive for you to listen because your children will be testing you at lunchtime. Okay, so you've been warned. Paul is writing about being ready for battle, being prepared for the fight. And this isn't make-believe. This isn't like me playing Playmobil castles with my son Joseph or you doing nerf battles. But this is a real fight With a real enemy. And Paul writes like a general giving a rousing speech to his troops before battle. So I'm going to read it. It's Ephesians chapter 6, and we'll start reading at verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against other people, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled round your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place. Let's just pray and ask God to help us. Lord, as we look at these few verses, God, I pray that you would impress truth on our hearts and minds. Would you equip us? Would you strengthen us by your Holy Spirit? Would you armor us with the full armour of God, so that we would be able to fight and stand firm for you. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Imagine you're walking along in the summer sunshine, you know, maybe out in LA or Long Ashton, as they call it, um, and, and then suddenly you, you, you go over a stile and suddenly you're in a battlefield. You know, and there's bombs going off, and it's like, some people are going through life like that. They do not realize that they're in a battle, and therefore, they are vulnerable. Paul is writing to people to help them to be aware of the battle they're in, and to instruct believers as to how to defend themselves in order that they can fight, Paul is saying that there is armor available to us to help us to stand against evil. And the different pieces of armor are like the different defenses that God gives to us. The first defense that we did last week was the belt of truth. We need to know the truth of who we are, what Jesus has done for us, and the reality of an enemy who wants to intimidate us and defeat us the truth is the first bit of armor that needs to be in place all the other armor is held in place by the belt and builds on it so what about the breastplate of righteousness what is it and in what way can we be protected by righteousness righteousness is right standing before God it's being justified, it's being declared righteous. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, the business of the gospel is to make us righteous in the sight of God, to make us acceptable with God, to enable us to stand in the presence of God. Unless you've got something that enables you to stand before God now and in the day of judgment, you are not only not Christian, you have never understood the gospel. Wow, big statement. This is the central purpose of the gospel, to make us just or to make us right with God, to enable us to stand with righteousness in the presence of God. If you're not a believer, if, you, if you're not sure what Christianity is all about, the purpose of the good news about Jesus is, is to enable people like you and me to be able to be right with God, to be able to be in the presence of a perfect, holy God. And as we've been saying uh, about the belt of truth holding the armour in place, the basis of righteousness is faith. In Genesis 15, it says, "...and he," talking about Abraham, "...believed the Lord." and he, talking about God, counted it to him as righteousness. Abraham was viewed by God as righteous, as acceptable, because he believed in God, because he put his faith in him. And in Isaiah, in the first chapter, God says through the prophet Isaiah to his people, you shall be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. You see, God's always wanted a people who he can call righteous who will display to the world what it means to live righteously how to treat one another and how to honor God with our lives but if you've ever read the old testament you know they keep getting it wrong they maybe they do one thing right and then they do 10 things wrong they just keep messing up again and again and so later on in the book of Isaiah, God speaks again through Isaiah in chapter 59. And I think Paul may have had these verses in mind when he writes about the armor of God. I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. And it's talking about the state of God's city, Jerusalem. It says this in Isaiah 59 verse 14. Justice is turned back. And righteousness stands far away, for truth has stumbled in the street, and uprightness cannot enter. Yes, truth is lacking, and he who turns aside from evil makes himself a prey. So even if you try and do the right thing, you're just going to get jumped on. Now the Lord saw, and it was displeasing in his sight, that there was no justice. And he saw that there was no man and was astonished that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought salvation to him and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness like a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself with zeal as a mantle When there was no hope, no justice, no righteous person, no one to intercede, God himself went into battle for us. He sent his own son, Jesus, to win salvation for us. To do the thing that we could never do. To win and earn what we could never earn or deserve. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21, Paul again writes... God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him, in Jesus Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. On the battlefield of the cross, a great exchange took place. Jesus, the only guiltless, innocent man in all of history, took the sin of you and I, of all humanity, On himself. Jesus gave his life. He died to win the war on sin and death. And the exchange was that in return for our sin that he took, he gave us his righteousness, his perfect, holy life. We receive it by faith. We receive this right standing with God. By putting our trust in Jesus and believing that God raised Jesus from the dead. So, is that it? Does that mean if you've put your trust in Jesus, then you've got righteousness and there's nothing else to do? We'll come back to that question in a minute. Have you ever tried to be really good? You know, you thought, I'm going to see how many days I can go, like, not doing anything wrong, not thinking anything bad. Uh, some of you look very serious. <laughs> maybe, maybe you've never, you may be deceiving yourself that you've never done anything wrong, but you have, in fact. I'm, I'm, I'm probably in the kind of lasting a few minutes or maybe a few seconds category of, of trying to do the right thing. But inevitably, however long you go, you mess up, don't you? Jesus uh, talked about the Ten Commandments uh, in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. And he raised the bar somewhat. So rather than just, you know, honor your father and mother and you shalt not murder, he says, if you even hate someone in your heart, then it's like you've murdered them. So it's like, whoa, this is a pretty high standard. Paul isn't saying, wear your own righteousness like a breastplate. Also in Isaiah 64 verse 6, it says, all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. That's what they amount to. It's not much of a breastplate. It's like walking into battle kind of with tissue paper wrapped around you. You are going to get cut down in seconds. No, no. Paul is saying, put on the righteousness of Christ. Live within the security of faith in what he's done for you. That despite your performance, despite your best attempts and your grievous failures, you are armored in the perfect righteousness of Christ. We are in Christ. That's what Paul has been saying again and again through the whole letter of ephesians paul you when paul talks about put on the full armor of god he uses the word in duo which from which we get the english word endow and that means to give or provide with a quality or an ability or an asset god provides us with strength and armor to put on He endows you with his righteousness to guard you from all your unrighteousness and all unrighteousness in the world. Jesus himself is our righteousness. When God looks at you, he sees the righteousness of Christ. When the devil accuses you, you can say, "Uh uh-uh, no, don't look at all the things I've done wrong, don't look at... My failures, look at Jesus. Look at his perfection. That's now what is mine by faith. That's my legal standing before God. I am righteous. I'm holy. I'm accepted. I'm loved. And I'm justified. And it doesn't stop there. The breastplate of righteousness is not just our legal standing before God. But it's also the way that we live. In light of what Jesus has done, our hearts can actually be changed so that we want to live righteously. Not just wanting to sin and do the wrong thing, but we actually want to follow Jesus and live his way. I don't know about you, uh, I love stories. Whenever I watch a film, it anno- does it annoy you that I always predict the plot? Yeah, I'm I'm kind of fascinated by the story. How how is it going to unfold? And stories are powerful. You know, you can tell someone a fact and they can believe it or not believe it. But a story is powerful. It moves you and it provokes you. And Jesus told stories or power uh, or parables to kind of teach people without kind of doing it point by point. Here's, here's point 7.135 or whatever it is. He told stories and people kind of drew the principles out themselves. Um, so I want to try something a little bit different. I want to tell you a story that I hope will help illustrate um, something important for us this morning. So it's a story based in the Wild West. So if you if you don't like Westerns, I apologize, um, but hopefully the the themes of the story will draw you in anyway. Uh, There was a man, uh, an outlaw, called the Man in Black. Uh, And he was part of an outlaw gang who would go from town to town, robbing banks, uh, holding up stagecoaches, and stealing the money. But on one occasion, one of their jobs goes wrong and uh, the man in black is thrown from his horse and badly injured, and he's left um, by the rest of his gang for dead. Um, He's found by the daughter of the local judge, and he's taken in by the judge's family, and they nurse him, and gradually he recovers. They don't pry into his past, but they treat him with compassion and kindness. And he starts doing a few chores around their farm, and uh, he uh, has a place to stay he He becomes part of that town community and he's he's known as a good man he gets a good reputation the The town judge who who's taken him in knows the truth about the black clothes in the wardrobe he knows this man's reputation. But he's pleased that this guy seems to have made a new start. And for the man himself, for the first time in his life, he feels content. He feels like he's at home. His old life seems like a bad dream as he threw himself into his new life. Now, the sheriff in town is coming up for retirement and he 's looking for a new deputy and the judge vouches for his new friend and says, uh, "This guy could work with you and the people of the town take him to their hearts they love his his kindness and his work ethic and he has a surprisingly you know he's very very good with a gun <laughs> but The town feels like a safer place with him around. But you know where this story's going, don't you? One day, he's out riding in the hills, and he runs into his old gang. They can't believe that he's alive. And they're very excited at the prospect of him joining up with them again, because they're about to uh, hit the, the, the bank in that town again the next morning. The, the man in black kind of makes his excuses that he needs to go and pick up his gear and he returns to the judge's house with his mind racing. What's he going to do next morning? Is he going to ride out again as the man in black and strike fear into the hearts of his newfound friends in the town? Or is he going to put on his deputy star And is he going to take a stand against his old gang? I'm going to leave it hanging for a moment. I think that's what Paul is talking about in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22, when he says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. We need to pursue living righteously like Jesus modeled to us. We know what the right way to live is. Even if you know very, very little, you have a conscience. And then however much you know of God, it's a signpost for you as to how to live. Now we have to actually go and do it. So it's not just about what God has done for us, but it's also what we do with that. So let's finish the story. The man in black emerged next morning in his new clothes, wearing his deputy star, to defend the town against his old gang. The outlaws shout out, you don't belong here. You're one of us. Wait till everyone hears about all the terrible things that you've done. But the judge speaks up for him and says, this is a good man. I'll pay any debts he owes. He's one of us now. That's what we can say because of what Jesus has done. This is who I am now. I'm more defined by what God says about me than I am about my failures. You are more defined by what God says about you than your failures. And conduct flows from identity. So how we live flows from who we think we are. If you think you're bad, then guess what? You'll behave badly. Sadly, so many children are treated that way. They are they're told they're no good. Some some of you may have been told that. That you're not worth anything. That you won't amount to anything. But that is a lie. And what God speaks over each one of you is that you're loved You're precious, you're cherished. And through Jesus, you're accepted by God. And if you know that you're righteous before God, then you want to live that way, don't you? You want to live up to that status. We can wear the armor of God like a badge of honor or like a sheriff's star. We can walk out and live up to what we wear. So where are you today? You may feel like an outlaw, like there's no hope for you. If people knew the things I'd done, they wouldn't want me in this church. We can feel that way. But there is an offer for you of a new life with God. You can receive righteousness by faith just through believing in Jesus' death and resurrection. Or maybe you're a Christian here and you're struggling in the battle. Paul has written that we need to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power and put on the full armor of God. We find strength, as Andy said, as we, as we gather together and worship, we encounter God by his spirit. He strengthens us. We're strengthened by a relationship with Jesus. And he, in Psalm 23, very well-known psalm, but we often miss the significance of just small bits of it. Psalm 23 says, he leads me, in paths of righteousness. Jesus leads us into righteousness if we're walking with him. The enemy knows where we're vulnerable. Whatever the battles are that you face, whether it's sexual temptation, whether it's uh, fear, anxiety, whatever it is for you, Our enemy knows where we're weak and he tries to trip us up. Jesus has won the victory and brought us into his kingdom and his righteousness. When we give in to temptation and sin, we compromise the kingdom of God in our lives. Or to put it another way, we stray outside of the righteousness that he's given us. We mustn't give in. We can stand our ground. And it's so important that Paul, in those few verses we read, he repeats stand four times. Take your stand. Stand your ground. Stand. Stand firm. And if there is an area of compromise in your life, Grace is available. When we fail, which we inevitably will at times, we can come back to God and confess. 1 John 1 verse 8 says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us. From all unrighteousness. We can confess to God, but we're also encouraged to confess to one another. We don't like that bit so much, do we? It's easy to confess to God, who we know will forgive, but actually, we are to confess to one another. I'm not suggesting you air all your dirty laundry in public, but we should have a few people that we trust a good friend, a group leader, just a wise Christian that we can be honest with when we get it wrong. If we never confess to one another, maybe we haven't understood grace. Grace means we don't have to project an image of righteousness, but we can be humble and honest about our failures. So I want to finish by just reading a couple of verses from Psalm 37. As homework, I recommend, if you believe in homework, I recommend you read the whole of Psalm 37. I found it so encouraging uh, as I was preparing for this. But I'll just read you two verses, verses 5 and 6. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him, and He will do this. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn. Your vindication like the noonday sun. How we live matters. It matters to you. It matters to me. It matters to this church. It matters to the city. It matters to this nation and the nations of the world. How you live will affect the people around you. It will affect the temperature of this church. It will affect how we impact the city. If we don't stand our ground, we may hinder unintentionally the advance of God's kingdom and the progress of the gospel. God's going to advance his kingdom anyway. He doesn't need us, but let's not be an obstacle or a barrier to what he's doing. We're in a battle for us and for the people we want to reach. Let's not put on a pretense of righteousness trying to pretend that we're more holy than we actually are, let's put on the righteousness of Jesus, humbly confessing our sins, receiving forgiveness, and standing our ground, the ground that Jesus has won for us. Can we stand together? And if the band could come back. I just want to pray very simply, and, and as I pray, there may be areas that you want to bring to God in your mind, areas where maybe unconfessed, maybe you haven't confessed them to God, or maybe they're just battles which you keep struggling with, and you know you need help. Um, and I just encourage you, as we pray and then as we sing now, Just bring those areas to God. He's faithful and just and will forgive. And let's ask for his Holy Spirit to strengthen us. Lord, we thank you so much for the truth of the gospel, that the very essence of the gospel, what Jesus has done, means that we, kind of sinful people, can stand as righteous in the presence of our God. We, we never want to lose the wonder of that truth, Lord. And right now, we just confess any areas where we've failed, Lord, any ways that we've compromised, where we've given the enemy a foothold in our lives. Lord God, we come to you again, our great Redeemer. Thank you, Jesus. You are our breastplate of righteousness. Thank you that you've shown us how to live. And we pray now, Holy Spirit, I pray you'd come and strengthen every person. Come and wash us clean where we need to be washed clean. Lord, thank you that we can stand again in your presence in perfect, spotless white robes. Lord, we want to live for you. Strengthen us by your Holy Spirit. Let this be the temperature of our church, that we're quick to confess that we stand in the righteousness of Christ. And after everything, we can stand. We worship you, Lord. Amen.